All right, good morning, everybody. It's great to see all the parents are still in the room. Thank you for not taking Joel's advice and all going off to children's ministry. Uh, If you have your Bibles, please turn them to Exodus chapter 9. For the past several weeks, we have been going through the 10 plagues that God has sent on Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. This morning, we're going to be looking at the 7th, the 8th, and the 9th plagues, all of which are growing in their severity and are are leading up to the 10th plague, the most severe of all of them. And remember that all these plagues uh, communicate something about the power of God and His determination to deliver His people and to make His glory known throughout the earth. And we are certainly going to see these things take place in our passage this morning. We have a lengthy passage. It's most of chapter 9 and all of chapter 10. But begin reading with me. Exodus chapter 9, beginning in verse 13. The Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on yourself and on your servants and on your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, that you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, this time tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been seen in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the Lord, or the word of the Lord, among the servants of Pharaoh, hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, so there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast, and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt." Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down from the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail. Very heavy hail, such had never been seen in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field and all the land of Egypt, both man and beast, All the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, there was no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord. For there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay here no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax in the bud. 
but the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet against again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country. And they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land and they shall eat what is left to you after the hail. And they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field. And they shall fill your houses and houses of all your servants and of all the Egyptians as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on this earth to this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord your God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. And he said to them, Go, serve the Lord your God. But which ones are to go? And Moses said, we will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and our daughters and with the flocks and the herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he said to them, the Lord be with you if I ever let you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go the men among you and serve the Lord, for that is what you're asking. And they were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt, For the locusts, so they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled in the whole country of Egypt, such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been seen before, nor will ever be seen again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened. And they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that all the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore forgive my sin, please only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord. And the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock must also go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with which, what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, as you say, you shall not see my face again. This is the word of the Lord. I imagine that every one of us here in this room this morning, when we consider this coming year, or if we consider even the, the next few weeks, there are significant things on our minds. We all have big things facing us in life, some of it good, some of it difficult. Maybe here this morning and there is great uncertainty in your life. You're feeling that your life has been thrown into chaos. Perhaps there is an important decision that you are faced with in the months to come. Or maybe here this morning and you are, you are wrestling with the reality of sin in your life and the effects it is having on your life and those around you. Wherever we are in life, whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, there's one thing that we need more than anything else, and that is to know who God is. What does God expect of us? Is he trustworthy? Does God punish sin? Is he, is he really that powerful? Is he really able to save us from the darkness of our lives? Is he really worthy to be praised? These are the big questions of life. And these are the questions that the book of Exodus is seeking to answer. Now, all that we have looked at so far in this book is seeking to point us to who God is. Because there is nothing more important than li in life than knowing the God of this Bible. In fact, chapter 9, verse 14, which we just read, it speaks to this very thing. It says that the events that took place in these chapters have happened so that you may know that there is none like God in all the earth. And with that, I'm... I'm giving away what the, the point of this message is going to be about. We are, we are meant to know God. We are meant to enjoy and obey God, to stand in awe of God. And there is, there's no greater tragedy in life than failing to know the God of this Bible. And God is determined that we would know him. Here's the, here's the main idea of this morning's message. God is determined that we would know that there is none like him in all the earth. And we're going to look at this main idea by, by examining two main points this morning, simple points, the power of God and the pride of man. First point one, 
the power of God. Begin with the first two verses of our, our passage this morning. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and on your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Now, if you've been with us over the past couple of Sundays, these verses probably sound a little familiar to you, right? This is the pattern here in Exodus. Moses delivers this message from the Lord to Pharaoh, demanding that he release the enslaved Israelites. In spite of the threat of continued plagues, Pharaoh rebels against the Lord. He hardens his heart and he refuses to release them. And so God sends another plague upon Egypt. And these plagues, as I mentioned, they're, they're getting progressively worse and worse, like demonstrating both the stubbornness of Pharaoh's heart, but also the power and judgment of God and God's power that each of these plagues, that the hail, the locust, the darkness, they are meant to display God's power over one of the Egypt's false gods. And we're not gonna talk extensively about each one of these plagues this morning, but, but I wanna consider briefly just how devastating the events in these chapters would have been to the land of Egypt. The first plague was hail. It was not just any type of hail. Verse 18 says, Behold, this time tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such has never been seen in Egypt from this day until it was founded until now. So this is a, this is a historic hailstorm that we are talking about. I've been in a couple of hailstorms in my life. One of them when I was trapped outside without shelter. It hurt, but... It was, I'm sure, nothing like the hail that is being spoken about here in this passage. The, the hail here in Egypt at this time would have been probably more like some videos we have seen of kind of you know, baseball-sized hail just smashing down on cars, um, shattering glass, knocking people over. Never before in Egypt had a storm, had hail been seen like this before. And verse 25 says, the hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. This was a devastating storm. The hail took the life of servants, of livestock, basically destroying all of the crops throughout Egypt, ripping trees apart. And then, in verse 27, Pharaoh cries out for relief. And God had mercy. And Moses stretches out his hand over the land and the hail stopped. But as is the pattern, Pharaoh quickly hardened his heart again and he refused to listen to the voice of God. And he would still not let the people go. And so God sends an eighth plague, locust. Now, locust might not seem like much more than just a nuisance to us in our day, but, but even in, re in recent history, there are accounts of locusts having devastating effects on nations. There was this article in a London newspaper about 10 years back that, that spoke about an outbreak of locusts that happened throughout Africa. And it was estimated that around 200 billion locusts swept through the land. 
Locusts apparently can eat their body weight in food. So, so 200 billion locusts is a major problem, right? And it was reported that the locusts were so densely packed that there was an upwards of 10,000 locusts per square foot. I'm not misquoting that. That's, that's really what it says. I don't, I don't get how that's even possible, but that's what the scientists estimated. 10,000 locusts per square foot. And that wasn't even as bad as what it was in Egypt. So in chapter 10 says that the locust plague was so bad that no one could even see the land in front of them. That is not an exaggeration. This is a pure wall of locusts devouring everything in their sight. And the few crops that remained after the hailstorm were now totally destroyed. And again, Pharaoh seems to relent for a little bit, but only to have his heart hardened again, and he refuses to let the people go. And so the Lord sends a ninth plague, darkness. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. I don't know exactly what that means, but it sounds pretty ominous. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. A couple weeks ago, I was in Kentucky, and I visited Mammoth Cave, which is the largest cave in the world. Apparently, they have not even found the end of this cave yet, but there is over 400 miles of cavernous tunnels beneath the earth. And I didn't walk all 400 miles of it, but I took a tour several miles down into this cave. And at one point, they, they stopped the, the tour, and they turned out all the lights in the cave that were lighting the, the paths. And I'll tell you what. Up until that moment, I don't think I'd ever truly understood what darkness was. It was utter darkness. Like, like wave your hand in front of your face and nothing. You can see absolutely nothing. And they, don't, they only kept the lights off for a, for a few minutes. And, and I consider myself to be a pretty adventurous person, not easily phased by things. But a few moments of that darkness was, was kind of an unnerving thing. And it was only for like 30 seconds. But Exodus tells us that there were three days of utter darkness in Egypt such that no one could see another person or even move about in their home. Can you imagine darkness like that for three days? Not able to move, hungry because you cannot find food, wondering if you'll ever even again see light. That would have been a terrifying three days in Egypt. But God had mercy again, and he lifted the darkness, but still Pharaoh refused to humble himself and to let the people go. Now, the reason I go into all of that is because this text goes into great detail to describe these plagues. And it's meant to, to land on us with this accumulative effect of demonstrating the great power and the judgment of God. Think of the mightiness of God to bring these things about. He speaks and hail comes down, shattering trees, bringing a nation to the edge of ruin. And he speaks again and it stops. And then locusts swarm at his command. 
until he turns the east wind to a west wind and he drives all the locusts out. And as verse 19 says, not a single locust was left in the land. Hundreds of billions of locusts gone at God's command. And then darkness, utter darkness throughout the land. Not a ray of light was found except in Goshen where the Israelites lived which is crazy. We, we, we might not have noticed this on our first read through, but chapter 10 says of the darkness, there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. And this is crazy because the people of Israel lived in Egypt. Goshen is, Goshen is just the, the southern part of Egypt. So God commands that for three days, part of the land be in total, utter darkness such that you cannot even move about your home. Yet in another part of the land, just miles away, there is light. And of course, God can do this because this is the same God who back in Genesis, before there was anything, when there was only darkness, he spoke and there was light. The power of God power of Yahweh is on full display in these passages. Now, now why again these plagues? What again is the, the point of all of this? There's several reasons here. One of those reasons is that God is determined to deliver his people whom he loves from their oppression. The, the judgment on Egypt is a righteous judgment from God against the wickedness of Pharaoh and Egypt. And these plagues are the means by which he will force Pharaoh to release the nation of Israel. But the, the way that God does this is meant to make it clear both to Israel and to Egypt that there is none like him in all the earth. Every one of these plagues is a direct statement about Yahweh's supremacy over Pharaoh and over Egypt and over the false gods of Egypt. Who but the one true God could do the things in this story? He has full power over Egypt, over the heart of Pharaoh, over the forces of nature, over everything. There is none like Yahweh. And he is determined to make his glory known. Now, to be clear, God is not seeking to make his glory known because he is an insecure God. He is not worried that Pharaoh is not going to acknowledge him for who he is. He is not up in heaven, desperately craving glory, unhappy, unsatisfied if Egypt does not honor him as he is due, right? That's what we do. Like we crave glory for ourselves and we are, we are unhappy when we don't get it, even though we don't deserve it because we are nothing. But that is not God. Our God is all satisfying. He is self-sufficient. He is not in heaven desperately craving glory, right? That's what we do. That's not how God is. God wants his name to be known because he actually is the greatest thing in the universe. And he knows that the tendency of the human heart is to reject God and to turn our hearts towards false idols that do not satisfy. And for us, 
We do that, right? We have our own false gods. It might not be the God of the sun. It might not be the God of the Nile. But we have false gods. And so that our false gods might be the false god of our own glory or material wealth or food or the false god of our own reputation. We often find ourselves placing our hope in these things instead of God. And we, and we allow them to be what we look to most in life for comfort and for security above anything else. And here's the thing about false idols, false gods like this. The, the tighter that we cling to these things, the less satisfied that we find ourselves in God. In the end, we find that these false gods do not satisfy because they are powerless to do so. And in fact, they actually lead to all types of sorrow, don't they? And God is a gracious God, and he would save us from this. And he does this by showing himself to be greater than our idols, so that we might release our grip on them and acknowledge him as the only one who truly satisfies And we see this all throughout our story. God is willing to go to great lengths to make this known to us. While this story is filled with judgment, there are also many signs of God's mercy to those who will turn to him. But as is demonstrated in the life of Pharaoh, as we know to be true in our own lives as well, even when the power and the mercy of God is on full display before us, our hearts do not like to humble ourselves before the Lord. And this leads us to our second point, the pride of man. So as we have seen, these plagues are are wreaking havoc, right, in Egypt. But there's a solution to this, right? And the solution is for Pharaoh to humble himself before the Lord and to let Israel go. And you would think that at this point, Pharaoh would have no choice but to hear the voice of the Lord and obey, right? His, his empire is crumbling. Egypt was one of the greatest empires in the world at the time, and it is crumbling. And he knows that if he continues in his rebellion, that it will fully crumble to the ground. And Pharaoh almost does submit, right? We see this pattern where God sends a plague and it appears that Pharaoh is repentant. Listen to what happens after the plague of hail. The Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, this time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord. For there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. So Pharaoh says, at this time I have sinned. As if he hadn't been sinning all these other times, but I guess we're just going to ignore that, right? But he says, okay, I've sinned this time, so let my people, and I will let the people go. What's happening here is, is Pharaoh is confronted with the consequences of his sin. And he, and he momentarily regrets what he has done. But his regret is short-lived, right? And Pharaoh hardens his heart again, and he refuses to obey God. And isn't this so often how it is with sin? 
We, we disobey God and we, and we experience the consequences of that and so we feel bad for ourselves. But how quickly those regrets can fade. And then sin starts to look attractive to us again. And, and we return to it knowing that it's only going to bring sorrow to our lives. I saw this video the other day of this sheep that had tried to jump across this long ditch in this farmer's land. Maybe many of you may have seen this all over YouTube for a little bit. But it's a sheep, and this sheep can't really jump. It made it maybe like a full inch off the ground at, at one point. And, and, and it seemed to jump over this ditch, and it just went head first into the ditch, stuck with its legs standing up in the air. And so that was kind of funny. But not as funny as the fact that some of the farmers came and they grabbed the sheep and they yanked it out of the ground and they put it back on its feet. And it being a sheep who are incredibly dumb and who had learned absolutely nothing from what had just happened, took two steps and tried to jump over the ditch and made it one inch off the ground and went head first back into the ditch in the exact spot it had just been pulled out of. It's like the dumbest video I have ever seen. It's great. Look it up. And it's a perfect picture of us and our sin. This is exactly what Pharaoh has been doing throughout this entire story. He rebels against God in spite of all that is happening in Egypt. And he says, actually, I will not let Israel go. And so God sends another plague and Pharaoh regrets of what he has done and he appears to repent again only to immediately return to his rebellion. This is what sin does. This is what sin looks like. But you know what? God is not thrown off by Pharaoh's rebellion. He is, in fact, as we know, orchestrating these events that his power and might might be made known. Right? God knows the human heart. And while we see God showing mercy to Pharaoh in Egypt... Let us not misunderstand this to think that God is fooled by their false repentance. After the plague of hail, Pharaoh appears to be humbling himself and he asks for mercy. And Moses says that God will stop the hail. But then Moses says, but as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. So Moses is not buying any of this. He says, if you really feared the Lord, then you would acknowledge him for who he is, and we would not be seven plagues into your rebellion against him. But that is the pride of the human heart, church, is to hear the Lord's warnings and to respond by saying, surely he will not do what he says he will do. Surely he is not who he says that he is. And so I will live my life how I want. This refusal, this pride, it brings ruin to our lives. And this is what God wants us to see in these events. And eventually, some of the people in Egypt did start to see. Look at verse, or chapter 10, verse 7. It's, just, it's honestly a heartbreaking verse in this passage. Then Pharaoh's servant said to him, how long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? 
What a weighty moment this is in this story. And the, the boldness of this servant's to say this to Pharaoh, who is a ruthless, wicked man. Do you not see, Pharaoh? Egypt is ruined. We have lost everything. The livestock, the source of food, human lives are being lost. Our economy is in shambles. If you do not turn from your wickedness and humble yourself before the God of Israel, there will be no recovering from this. Do you not yet understand, Pharaoh? Egypt is ruined. One of the commentaries I read on this passage said that this verse is perhaps one of the clearest statements in all the Bible about what sin does to our lives. Sin is a desire that our will, not God's will, be done, even when it brings ruin to our lives. We want to do what we want to do regardless of the effect it has on us and those around us. We, we persist in anger, even to the ruin of our relationships. We persist in sexual sin, even to the deadening of our own souls. We refuse to be generous. We boast in ourselves over others. And we do this knowing that our sin does not satisfy and often actually brings ruin to much of our lives. And perhaps, even this morning, there is, there is sin in your life like this. And apart from God's grace, this is what our lives will look like. Like Pharaoh, we will regret our sin, not because we are grieved by our rebellion against God, but because the, the consequences can often be painful, right? Or other times we try to bargain with God over our sin. Just as Pharaoh said, well, how about I let just some of the people of Israel go? We, we, say, we say, God, let me just hang on to this one sin. Let me hang on to just a part of my sin. And then maybe we, we justify that sin by trying to highlight other areas of our life where we are living in obedience to God. But, but God is not fooled by half-hearted repentance. He's not interested in bargaining over your sin. He is determined to be known and followed as the only true God who satisfies. That's what he's doing in Exodus. He's orchestrating all these events, not only for his glory, but also for our good, church, that we would know him and follow him and delight in him. He's doing this because Pharaoh and the Egyptians were making this devastating mistake of living in wickedness and putting their trust in false gods. See, even in the midst of God's judgment, we see his mercy. We see God's heart that Israel and Egypt would know him and follow him. Before God sends the seventh plague of hail upon Egypt, he says to Pharaoh, For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, that you have been cut off from the face of the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. And in this... Even in God's judgment here, there is mercy. His heart is that we would repent of our sins and come to fear Him and find our refuge in Him alone. And wonderfully, 
We see that through these mighty acts of God, many of the Egyptians did come to fear the Lord and were added to the people of God. While there were many who continued to rebel against God, there were some who heeded his warnings and came to be spared. In Exodus chapter 12, when God's people were finally set free, it speaks of how there were many Egyptians who left with them. It's because they came to see that their gods of Egypt were powerless. They came to see the wickedness of their rebellion against Yahweh. And they saw the mercy and the blessings available to those who would follow the Lord. Remember when God sent the plague of hail over all the land of Egypt? Verse 27 says, Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, there was no hail. Or when God sent the plagues of darkness, there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days but all the people of Israel had light. What a beautiful picture that is of the redemptive power of the gospel in the lives of those who would trust and follow him. Throughout all of Egypt, there is hail raining down destruction. There is darkness. There is judgment. There is death. But in the land of Goshen, where God's people are, there is light. There is mercy. There is blessing. And many in Egypt saw this and they said, their God, the God Yahweh, that must be the true God. And that is why God demonstrates His power through these chapters, both in His judgment, but also in His mercy, that many might come to know that there is no God like Yahweh. In Redeemer Fellowship, it is by God's great kindness that we have come to know and be loved by this God. It is all God's mercy. Let us not be mistaken that the people of Israel in the land of Goshen were no less deserving of God's judgment. Right? Israel proved themselves time and time again to be a rebellious and idolatrous people. Right? As we ourselves have. Right? We ourselves are no less deserving of God's judgment than Egypt and Pharaoh were. The only reason that there was darkness in Egypt and there was light in Goshen is because God has mercy on his people. As he has with us. There is there's still one more plague to come. We're not getting into it this morning. But, but chapter 11 speaks of the plague of death. And Joel is going to reflect on this passage this coming Friday where we are going to remember the death of Christ on the cross. Where all the judgment that we are talking about, all the judgment seen throughout Exodus was laid on Christ instead of on us. And we're going to remember that this coming weekend, right? Good Friday, Easter morning, but we must remember these things this morning as well. There is no God like our God. And we know His mercy and not His judgment only because Christ has taken our place on the cross and has given us life. And we're going to celebrate all of that next weekend. But we don't need to wait till next weekend, right? 
because it is true this morning. Our God is a great Savior. He is worthy of worship. He is worthy of affection. He is worthy to be obeyed. There is none like our God in all the earth. Let me pray.